When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? You think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Gallagher Anderson. Stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, versus Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming. Do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Uh-huh. They let us in again. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker in New York. Hanging out on the couch with Scruffy the dog. Seriously, what's the dog's name, Lang? Starberry. <laughs> you knew that. I, I cannot believe I forgot that. You know, you know, your boy, Steph Marbury, uh, won a title in China. He did. He did. Did a little crying after he won it. Props to Steph. Long time coming. He's yes. uh, I mean, good for uh, him. I mean, I know this is what his first title since his uh, Lincoln High days. Yeah, in uh, Coney Island. So I mean, good. You know, big ups to Steph Marbury. Um, you know, good for you. Hangtime blog is is up and cranking as always, and here we are back on the Hangtime podcast. NCAA title game in the books, Lang. Um, I know you watched the game like I did. What? And and I know you always look at it. Same as I do, looking at it from an NBA perspective, just kind of where do these guys project? Where do they go from? You know, right. um, your, your lasting impressions, or your it's certainly not your first, but your lasting impressions of Anthony Davis of Kentucky, maybe, and Thomas Robinson of Kansas, the two kind of marquee names of, and I guess Michael Kidd Gilchrist as well should be thrown in there. Um, yeah, in terms of NBA prospects for those guys, I thought. Um, let's talk about Robinson. I, I was talking to an NBA player last night, and mm-hmm. he thought that Robinson is going to be a you know a, a really good rotation guy in the NBA. Maybe not an All Star, but have a long career in the NBA. I, you know, let's start with this though. I think for all those guys, what team they end up on is is huge. Yeah, I mean, you have to say that with any player, really. But on, in the right situation, like a guy like Thomas Robinson could be a. a I mean, he might be able to be an all-star on the right team, you know, with the right guys around him. Right. Uh, I was wondering, uh, I, I noticed like he seemed to kind of be a little undersized against Kentucky. I don't know if that's going to be, uh, you know, especially when he was trying to score in the post. I don't know if that'll be a bigger deal when he gets to the NBA or not. Um, so I, what was your take on, on Robinson? Well, I mean, I, I went in picking Kansas uh, on episode 73 of the Hangtime Podcast, as everybody will remember, and I'm sure somebody <laughs> will remind me uh, yeah. on Twitter. Um, I, I love the guy. I love his motor uh, in the college game. Yeah. And I'm really curious. You know, he, he struggled against that length that Kentucky threw at him last night, not just 
Anthony Davis, but Terrence Jones as well. Um, you know, even Michael Kidd Gilchrist, who who plays a lot bigger than he is. Um, Darius Darius Miller, I think his name is. All of those guys, those long arms flying around and, and blocking shots from behind and stuff, it, it looked like he was uncomfortable getting swarmed the way he did on defense. Yeah. And I think that's something that it's a transition every college guy's going to have to make. But Thomas Robinson, 6'9", 6'10", 235 pounds. He's certainly got the frame and the bounce and, the, you know, the skill set it would appear to make that transition. But I could see length, you know, playing against length being an issue for him in the NBA. I'll say this. I, I didn't see any of those guys last night that I thought offensively can come into the league and, and make a huge impact right away. I agree. I agree. If, if you're talking about which guy could come in the league and, and put up points in bunches, of everybody we saw, I would say, I would say it had to be Miller. He's the one guy who looked like he could shoot from outside. Maybe Lamb. You know, my my thing with Lamb is, boy, he's gonna have to be, he's gonna have to play the two in the league. And yeah. He's not a particularly you know big guy. He's only six four. Um. So that means you got to be able to get get space and get shots off against a number of guys who are gonna be a lot bigger than you. At, yeah. At, at shooting guard, I mean. Kevin Durant plays technically plays the three, but plays a <laughs> right. lot of two. I mean, that's that's a huge size differential for a six four guy. So, I'm. What did you think of uh, the 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 whole John Calipari dynamic and where this puts him? <laughs> you know, he's taking so much heat about this one and done thing and the and the rules. I mean, what what does this do for Calipari's reputation or you know or image in your mind? I don't, you know, I, I don't think we should penalize Calipari for the one and done thing. I mean, because that's kind of a reality of college basketball right now. Um, he didn't make the rule, but he's kind of made the best of it of all the college coaches. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it's kind of like you're going all in every single year and you just got to hope that you're going to like right now, he, he said he was going to take two days off and then go recruit again. Because he's got to like replenish. Because if all those guys leave, he's got nothing. If he doesn't get the right guys, right? Um, so maybe that's just what it's going to be. I I don't know that. You know, I guess the argument has been that having all these one and done guys, he hasn't been able to have like the kind of continuity, maybe, and that's why the teams haven't been as successful in the tournament um, through the years. But you know, if he can get those guys in there and win year after year, I, I don't know how that's going to uh, – I mean, I don't really know how you – not root against it, but I don't know how you argue against it. Yeah. Does that make sense? I no, don't, I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't blame him for it. Um, and I actually think he's maybe the best argument for a change to the rule. Like, cause uh, he's taken it and said, hey, if this is the system you're going to use – Right, you know, here I'm. I'm gonna I'm gonna push the limit and totally, yeah, and and go over the top with. It. Now that he's won a championship, doing it, if you know, we'll have to wait and see how many of these these young guys. I mean, they're all freshmen and sophomores, other than Miller, in their in their top seven. We'll have to see how many of these guys leave. Um, yeah. Because I watched the McDonald's game last week, and there's a kid, Alex Poitras, I think his name is from Tennessee, who's going to Kentucky, who is ridiculous. Right. You know, and I'm going. Man, he's got he's got more of this on the way. So it's not like the cupboard will be bare at Kentucky. They they're gonna be in great shape whether you know a bunch of these guys leave or not. Um, but about Davis, I mean, skipping back to Anthony Davis before we before we move on, um, 
I was on a on some different shows today. You know, the morning after the Final Four and after the championship right. game, and people ask me, "What do I think? Uh, you know, what does Davis look like? You know, and I and they always give you the well, who does he who do you compare him to? And I hate the comparisons. Yeah, we've talked about it before. I don't like making those comparisons because well, we have to compare, but people. you have to compare him to something. <laughs> um, and I said Marcus Camby, like at the same stage, like Marcus Camby coming out of college, basically, which Camby came out what after his junior year. Uh, you know, I don't think he was or his sophomore year. He was a he was a two year guy maybe. Um, Davis would you know if he comes out and that's a big if if you know I mean, we can't just put him out of the draft before he declares. But if he comes out to me, he's similar to Camby in that he's a guy who can affect games dramatically right. without having to score the ball a lot. And Camby played three years at UMass. Three years, okay. See, and I and I said at the time, you know, it I could hear the the hosts of the show they they kind of. I said Marcus Camby, and I could kind of hear this deflating sound, like, huh? You know, like, and and I don't know why anybody would look at Marcus Camby and think that's some kind of slap in the face. Camby's had a, Camby's had a fantastic NBA career. Who, but who, and he was a number two pick in the number draft. Number two pick. Who, who would you? I mean, who do you? Who would they want you to compare him to? Well, I mean, you Dave, know, you Davidson. heard some of this craziness, like you know, Bill Russell and some other. And it's like, man. That, <laughs> That heaps so much extra yeah. sauce on on the plate. He scored two points, yeah. three points, right? I think he had one field goal. Yeah, he was like uh, one for ten. And I and I don't, I'm I'm not as big on the how many points he scored. He, grabbed, he had sixteen, seventy rebounds, and five blocks, and all this other stuff. He did some. He he's clearly, I mean, he's player of the year and all that. But if I'm just looking at him and his what he what I what he looks like to me now, I don't. I mean, he looks like Marcus can be at the same stage to me. Yeah, and I, and I don't know that. I hope that's not an insult to Anthony Davis because I think Marcus Camby's been a pretty, pretty good NBA player over the course of the past decade and a half. And you know, like we, I said that I, I don't see any of those guys coming into college. I mean, coming into the NBA and being able to make an impact offensively right away. But I think Davis could make the biggest impact right away defensively. Yes. Um, just his length. I mean, he looked like he outgrew that undershirt during the game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is he is so long and his arms are so long, and I, I just I could see him. Uh, as, in the NBA, just guarding the rim and, and being a force inside and changing shots and that kind of stuff, grabbing rebounds. Like, I think right away he'll be able to come in and do that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. This, this I'm sure you read about it, how basically he was 6'3 a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and now he's going to go into the draft, you know, or go into that process as, you know, people talking about him in, in the same breath as some of the best big men to come out in recent years, which – Pretty impressive for uh, a kid who's who's just starting, uh, really coming to his own in basketball. So, um, we'll, and we'll and we'll get back. We'll talk some more uh, Final Four and NCAA tournament and draft and all that stuff. One of our guests coming up later in the show. But let, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to overlook the other guys playing basketball uh, <laughs> around the country. I mean, this is this is the Hang Time Podcast. Uh, I, I mean. Well, I'm going to ask our, our first guest, um, who knows the Thunder better than anybody, you know, is covering him inside now for the Oklahoma. Darnell Mayberry is joining us now on the Hang Time Podcast. Uh, Darnell, what's happening, sir? How you guys doing? Good, man. Hey, man. Good, man. Um, we, we're we trying to find flaws with this Thunder squad, Darnell. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, 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 I'm coming up empty trying to figure out what it is anybody could look at them and say they don't have championship caliber – you know, pieces basically in every direction. 
you know, if you kind of put me on the spot. It's going to sound like I'm nitpicking here. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's your job, man. That's your job. <laughs> they definitely have flaws, man. I mean, they're not a finished product, uh, regardless of, of how many people are, are already penciling them into the finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you look at, at, at their turnovers, I mean, they're one of the worst in the league at turning it over. Right. I think that they're second now. If they haven't fell back in the last place, uh, their defensive rebounding is an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they, they just let teams really bully them on the offensive board. So, uh, and that's getting a lot of teams second-chance points and easy put-back opportunities. Uh, they're a really good defensive team, and I don't think they get a lot of credit for the, the way they play defensively. Uh, but when they give up so many turnovers and, and, and offensive rebounds, that's just giving teams uh, way more shot attempts and chances to score, it's putting enormous pressure on their defense. So they really got to button those two things up. We saw it, how it hurts them against the Grizzlies in that loss uh, on Monday night. And, you know, if they don't fix those two things, I think in the playoffs, that'll really be a problem uh, if they don't find a way to fix those two. We were just talking before you got on here about Westbrook and how well he's been playing lately and uh, wondering, maybe you know the answer to this, what got into him lately? <laughs> he's just been uh, – I think maybe playing the best he's played all season the last couple of weeks. Well, I saw my man Sekou link to a story I did. I appreciate that, Sekou. <laughs> yeah, you know it. You know it. Uh, you know, Kendrick Perkins really sat down and talked with Kevin uh, Durant and Russell Westbrook about just checking their egos at the door, uh, putting the selfishness aside, putting all of the, the uh, you know, wanting the attention and the, the, the thirst and, and the need for accolades and awards and, you know, whether it's another, a bigger contract or endorsements, whatever it might be, you talk right. to them about putting all of that aside uh, and just playing for the team, just selling out for the team. And, and if they did it, he knew that everyone else would follow suit. Uh, and I think that really resonated with Russell Westbrook. He got his contract. You know, I think uh, that took a little bit of pressure off of him. Uh, and he's even admitted that, you know, not that it, it really affected his play, but he admitted that it, is more like a, a, a burden off his shoulders uh, to have it done and behind him. So uh, I think a lot of things have just helped. Getting Derek Fisher in has helped their 6-1 uh, since Derek Fisher has joined this team. I think that's been big for Russell Westbrook. And really just slowing down and learning. Uh, you know, he's going through this, this stuff for the first time, a lot of it. And, uh, you know, people are coming after him in ways that, that they haven't really before. Uh, and now he's just learning how to, how to approach the game and, and really see things uh, and realizing that he doesn't have to play at 100 miles per hour on every possession. I think that's the biggest thing. We're seeing him slow down right. uh, and make better decisions. Darnell, do you think that, uh, you know, some of that also, I, I, I highlighted in that blog post I did the other day where I linked to your story about the fact that his turnovers, he's basically cut them in half since before the All-Star break. Has some of this been him getting a chance to go to All-Star weekend uh as an incumbent and as one of the recognized guys. So maybe he comes out of that weekend feeling a little more settled in who he is as a player without, I mean, take, take away the, the, the words Kendrick Perkins spoke to him, but just maybe him realizing that, Hey, I, you know, I don't have anything to prove anymore. Let me eat, you know, let me ease back and just do what I do best as opposed to pressing the issue all the time. Oh no. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> Russell Westbrook is a guy who's always going to feel like he has something to prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be the league MVP. He could be the highest paid player. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's going to feel like he has. So he just plays with a chip on his shoulder, and that's who he is. That's part of what makes him a great young player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also a part of what makes him 
sort of uh, erratic and, and, and out of control at times, but you have to take the good with the bad, and certainly there's been way more positives than negatives with Russell Westbrook's game. And uh, But I, I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head. Those turnovers, he's really gotten them down. I think he has five the other night against Memphis, but uh, you know, uh, with the exception of that, he's gotten down to about two and a half a game in, in the last handful of games, and uh, he was on pace to lead the league in, in, in turnovers for like the third year. Right, might have been straight. So, uh, you know, that's <laughs> definitely one of the areas that he's got to get under control. But you know, he's been, he's been doing a, a much better job of it, and uh, and really making better decisions. Darnell, you mentioned that the the Thunder are six and one since since they got Derek Fisher in there. Um, what exactly does he bring to the team? And, and you know, for a team that is a franchise that has been so uh, thought out and careful in all their movements, getting a guy like Fisher kind of speeds things up a little bit. Does it change the expectations a little bit too? Well, in terms of what he brings, I think, you know, Kevin Durant said it best. You know, when Kendrick Perkins got here with his one championship, everybody was sort of wide-eyed and, and looked at right. him like, you know, like, uh, you know, like he knew it all. Their sisters got five of them, you know. So, so you know, imagine how they're gonna look at him and and, and how much, uh, how how receptive they're gonna be to to everything that Derek Fisher brings. So that championship experience is, is huge. He's seen it all. He's been through it all, uh, and he can tell these guys things that that they don't know. It's funny that when you look at Fish and timeouts, he's normally the one doing most of the talking, and he just got here. <laughs> trying to learn but he's doing most of the talking and, and trying to teach guys and, and educate them on what's going on so uh, I think that's really been the biggest thing you know on the court he's still struggling with his shot as he was out there in LA uh, but he settled the team down uh, he's definitely been an improvement over Reggie Jackson the rookie point guard uh, they drafted 24th overall out of Boston College so uh, right. he's, he's settled that second unit down a little bit and you can just see that there's a little bit more confidence with this team with Derek Fisher on the floor. Darnell, what's reasonable um, in terms of expectations? I know this group accelerated the process a little bit last year, making the Western Conference Finals. But I mean, what? And we and we know their internal expectations are going to be through the roof. Is all that's what you expect out of a team that's just trying to play championship basketball. But for people in Oklahoma and Thunder fans, what's what's a satisfactory? Uh, you know culmination of this season is it championship or nothing is it people will accept them getting to the finals and maybe not winning i mean what what will what appeases the the fan base in oklahoma city well i think it, i think it goes to i think it's two different questions you have to ask what what is satisfactory for the team and mm-hmm. what will be satisfactory for the fans the team i mean they basically come out and say it. they don't really talk about it but they said you know they want to win a championship sure. but if they don't for them i think this season will be a failure There'll be plenty of successes in this season if they don't. But I think overall, uh, it, they'd probably look at it as a failure. But for the fan base, I, you know, I did a chat the other day uh, on NewsOK.com, and you know, someone said it would be his championship or bust this season, and I disagree with that. Yeah. I think if this team makes it back to the Western Conference Finals, even and loses, comes up short, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't get to the finals, I think if they play hard, they take a tough team to seven games or even six games, and they gave it their all. Uh, then I think that people around Oklahoma City, Thunder fans in general, would appreciate the effort. And I think that they would, they would uh, salute this team for, for how hard they've played all season and the strides that they've made. Uh, but certainly you have a, a, a huge number of fans, don't get me wrong, <laughs> expecting this team to be in the finals this year. 
So, you know, I don't want to take the pressure off of them because <laughs> a lot of people do expect this team to make it. Right, right. Well, that kind of brings us back around to where we started. Like, I mean, what what keeps this team from winning a championship? Is there anything outstanding that is it just going to be turnovers, or is there anything else out there that they've got to fix or get better at to win a title? Well, I mean, there's two things, and I heard you mention one of them. That's that experience, that youth and inexperience. I mean, this is really most of these guys' third playoff series. I mean, in terms of the core guys who are doing the heavy lifting, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant uh, and James Harden. So. You know, those guys are still very relatively inexperienced when it comes to, to postseason experience. So uh, I still question whether or not they're going to be able to get past the Dallas or San Antonio uh, right. experienced teams like that in the postseason because, you know, as you guys know, when, when the things slow down and you have to execute and make a play, uh, that's when it's going to separate the teams that, that really have been there before and know how to do it. Uh, versus the teams that, you know, just sort of relying more on talent and, and athleticism. I think really the Thunder has gotten by and has has won a good portion of their 40 games this season uh, with talent and, and just raw athleticism. I mean, not to take anything away from them, but they're just simply better than a lot of teams that they've played this season. And the right. other thing that I'd point to is, is, is transition points. You know, we saw against, again in that Memphis game the turnovers were up their their defensive rebounding wasn't where it needed to be uh and memphis didn't turn the ball over much and the thunder struggled they only had two fast break points and we saw them score only 88 points so when this team doesn't get out in transition and, and generate easy easy buckets uh fast break points they can really struggle to score at times i mean we've heard charles barkley and those guys talk about it all the time uh in the half court they really struggle to score so uh, a combination of all of those things could really creep up against the wrong team and hurt this Thunder team and keep them from getting there. Well, don't get any better than that. Darnell Mayberry from the Oklahoma, man. Good to hear your voice. Appreciate you joining us as always. And uh, I'm not going to lie now, I got impulsive these last two Sundays. Big wins over Eastern Conference opponents. I was, I was online looking at hotel space in Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I, want, I, I like to be prepared. I'm just I'm just we're, we're gonna put you in that haunted hotel. <laughs> Precautionary <laughs> measures, D. Seku, Seku, you man enough to stay in the Skirvin? Man, I am listen, I'm man enough to stay in the Skirvin with my uh bathrobe I got from Adidas uh this year for All Star Weekend. I will I will have the, the white bathrobe and all up in there, bro. Man, that, that hotel is haunted, man. <laughs> I believe the stories. I wouldn't do it. Uh, hey, I have no fear. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, man, we appreciate it and we will see you down the road, man. All right, guys, take care. All right, take care. See, Lang, it it takes somebody on the front line sometimes to 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 make you push back and and take a different look. And, right. Um, I'm serious. I was I was like I was literally saying to my wife, I was like, I'm gonna be in Oklahoma City for the finals at this rate. Like, you know, <laughs> I think I said it out loud there, and she kind of looked at me like, "What?" I'm like Oklahoma City. I don't think it even registered with her. I don't. Even, I'm not even sure if she knows where the Thunder play. Um, which. I was thinking about it yesterday and thinking how I think home court will have a big effect on the finals. Yeah. You know, whichever team has the home court advantage, I think maybe this year more than other years, that could that could play a pretty big part in um, yeah. who you favor Yeah, in a way. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking t- tomorrow night that the Thunder play at, uh, at Miami. Right, be, uh, right. 
good game to to check out and see how they handle on the road there. I get yeah, I mean those those other two have been home games um those last two weeks. So yeah, it is different, but uh but Lang, we 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 started out talking about the tournament and I want to flip it back and and talk a little more NCAA tournament now. We got uh another superstar guest joining us here on the Hang Time podcast. Greg Anthony, you've seen him all over your television screen the last <laughs> You've seen him all over everywhere <laughs> here recently, uh, joining us now on the Hangtime Podcast. You've seen him on CBS. You see him on NBA TV, on Fan Night. Um, GA, thanks for joining us, man. I know you probably still still got uh, baggage claim tags on your stuff. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, You know, I was recovering nicely from uh, the NCAA, feeling good about myself, and I just got to Atlanta getting ready for Fan Night tonight, and then my man C. Webb pulled the okie doke on me. <laughs> what do you do? Pull the okie doke, man. They got me. Uh, we had a bet on fan night Uh-oh. a few months ago because we picked the game. Oh. We said the loser, we tweeted and put it out to the fans, the loser would have to wear the uh, Elevator Uh-oh. Ernie outfit. So I don't oh, know if no. you guys have seen the video of Elevator oh, Ernie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Back in the day with the rolled up <laughs> socks above his kneecaps and the, and the booty shorts. <laughs> And the tight, tight T-shirt with the nipples showing, oh. and the glasses. So I gotta, uh, I gotta sport that for the whole show. Oh my goodness! Are you serious? I, I, I gotta do it. I, it's a, you know, you gotta be a man of your word. I got young, I got kids. I can't, I can't. You know, I got if I if I own up to it, I gotta go and pay the pay the piper. So uh, I'm gonna just be stay by to the desk. Team. I'm gonna have a different kind of three piece on tonight. <laughs> three tight pieces tonight. Yeah, three tight pieces. It's gonna be more like a three piece. Nugget. That's what it's gonna be like. <laughs> well, man, how how was uh, New Orleans? Which I know New Orleans is always good if you're just talking the city. But how was New Orleans as a host for the Final Four? And, and what did you think uh, of what we saw last night on the court? Well, first off, New Orleans is as good a city for hosting major sporting events as really we have in America. Amen. I mean, it's you know everything's kind of centrally located. The people. You know how that Southern hospitality is. They could not be more engaging and friendly and accommodating. And, you know, it was it's just a good time. And it's got something for everything, you know, amazing food, nightlife, you know, just you're right there on the Mississippi. And, yeah. man, it, it just, I tell you, it was just such an amazing time. And, and we had amazing talent on display in terms of the team. So right, right. Uh, it was it was impressive. I mean, I, I just thought Kentucky, you know, obviously they were the best team all season. Uh, but you guys follow college as well, and, and, and I've made this statement before, but what's great about March Madness is that the best team doesn't always win mm-hmm. because, you know, it's not a situation where you got to beat them four times like in the NBA. You just got to be better that one night. And so it's impressive that a, a team that young, starting three freshmen and, and two sophomores, uh, were able to show the kind of poise and presence and, and maturity out on the floor and the, and the unselfishness and the commitment to the defensive end that they showed the entire uh, run of the tournament. And, and you got to tip your hat to John Calipari and that group, man. They, they really they, – they earned everything they got, and uh, I, I could not have been more impressed with how they played the game of basketball. We were talking earlier about, about um, all these guys who are probably going to be in the NBA next year uh, who played last night and how they project – which guy from last night do you think can have the biggest uh, or quickest impact in the NBA? You know, it, it's going to be interesting. I think I think Anthony Davis, in terms of his overall impact on the game, is, is unbelievable. 
physically he's going to take a little more time uh, because of the position. You know, he's going to be an interior player. And, you know, he doesn't – as great a help defender as he is and shot blocker, you know, a lot of that comes on, on the weak side and in help defense. So I think he's going to be a great player. He's obviously going to be the first pick in the draft and going to have a phenomenal career, I think. I mean, I, I just think this guy – has the, has a chance to be just a, a true superstar. I think Terrence Jones is the type of player with the size and athleticism. He's already got an NBA body. Uh, he's got a natural position. He can play the small forward. He can also play some four, uh, and, and he's an excellent passer. You know, and he'll just continue to get better. He, the, the young man loves the game. Uh, Marcus Teague, uh, I think, he's got a chance to be a very, very good pro as well. You know, he's got great size. You know, it was a challenge for him early to, to really understand the role of the point, especially when you play with that kind of talent. Uh, but the fact that he could be so effective and play with other great players, because that gets lost a lot of times in, in the college game. A lot of times guys will be great on their team when they're the guy and everything revolves around them, and then they go to the next level, and then now all of a sudden there are four other guys they're playing with that are better than them, and then they can't figure out how to impact the game without being the man. And, and so his ability to learn how to still, you know, be a facilitator and pick his spots, I think bodes well at the next level. Now, granted, I mean, all these kids are young, and I call them kids uh, complimentarily uh, because they, they are, you know, freshmen and sophomore. Uh, Kid Gilchrist uh, is an animal, yeah. a physical specimen, just a great competitor, really the heart and soul of that team, probably the least skilled of, those, of that group. Uh, but, again, his passion, I think, was going to bode well for him moving forward. You know, he's got to improve his jump shot, his ball handling. Is he a small forward? Is he a shooting guard? Uh, but but all of those those young men, I think, have an opportunity to be effective at the next level and, and make a huge impact. Greg, you, we talk so much about, you know, and kind of react to the immediacy of what went on, and I heard people saying, where does right after game, where does this team rank all time? As a guy who played – on a team that's legitimately discussed as one of the greatest of all times, do you want to push back a little bit for the sake of those kids at Kentucky and, and hold off on that kind of talk before you know before you go crowning them anything other than the national champions for 2012? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it'd be fair. Listen, they were a great team. I mean, and I say were because I don't think they're going to be together next year. <laughs> right. uh, uh, had this group decided to stay together a year or two, absolutely they would have an opportunity to be put in, a, in that category. But, you know, I think the one thing about them is, and, and when you start looking at some of those other great teams from other eras, generally those teams are, are junior and senior teams. So when you take a team that has the kind of talent they have, and now you say they're three years removed, let's say they're all juniors and seniors, now you start talking that way. Right. You right. absolutely would. I think the fact, though, that they were just – you know, all freshmen and sophomore will will take a little bit away from that, uh, and, and people won't necessarily look at it in the same light. I mean, you look at look at the Fab Five. I'm sitting here with C Web right now, and they were a great, great team. Even that group, they went to play in two finals. Right. You know, so you know if they win one of those, they're going to be they're they're still regarded as a great team, obviously. But you know, ultimately, it's about winning that chip, and and so Kentucky will always have a place, and will always be remembered. You know, as a great team, there's no doubt about it. And, and, and in all fairness, I don't, I, I, I don't get into the which team was better. Right. Yeah. Everybody, you know what? Each one of those teams has their own place in history. 
You know, that's the beauty of it. You know, they they can say what it, all all it is is speculation. No one will ever know. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, ultimately, all they, all I know is they're the 2012 national champs. Exactly. And and deserving, and and you should be happy for them and and proud of them because they're all great kids too, man. Great character. You know, all of these kids are the kinds of kids you'd hope one day that that your child could grow up to be like in terms of just how they conduct themselves, how they dealt with the pressures of of being on that big stage. You know, a lot of poise, a lot of maturity from these young men. And uh, really, I think they, they, they did the game of college basketball as well as basketball a great service with the way they performed. We were, we were talking earlier about um, how, and you kind of mentioned it, how the guys are probably going to be one-and-done guys. What's your take on, I mean, as a guy who played in college and had a career for a couple of years and you enjoyed your college experience, what's your take on the one-and-done thing now? And, you know, that so many guys seem to, to be – uh, doing it, and how do, how does that affect like a Kentucky or or the fans of a program like that? Well, uh, let's take Kentucky. You know, they 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 had one and done three years ago. They went to the regional final, yeah. lost everybody. So then you, they come back the next year with a whole new crew. Then they go to the final four. They lose all those guys, and they come back the next year with a new crew. They won a national championship. So I don't think Kentucky's been affected very much by it <laughs> based on what they've been able to do. And, and in all fairness, listen, I, I have no problem with it. I didn't like the fact that they forced these kids to have to go to college for a year. Listen, these some not all these kids, but the and, it's, and we're not the, – the problem is people look at it like you got 200 kids a year doing this. There's 10 or 12 kids who right. are special enough and – Others think enough of them to give them the opportunity. You know, how dare we say, oh, we, these kids shouldn't have that chance. I mean, what bothers me is no one says Miley Cyrus can't go out and become a billionaire when she's 14, yeah. 15. Nobody says that you can't turn pro as a baseball player or as a golfer or as a tennis player or you can't become a mega movie star or, or any of these other things. Why is it that because you play basketball all of a sudden now, you have to go to school? I mean, it's absurd. You know, you go to Europe or the rest of the world, those kids – they're pros at 14, 15. Ricky Rubio's playing pro ball the last three, four years before he even came over here. Yeah. And But for some reason, and I'm not going to go in-depth on it, but for some reason <laughs> when the kids that play basketball do it, it's all of a sudden a major issue. You know, I just find that to be, a, you know, a bit hypocritical. Uh, listen, if you guys, you, you saw the Powerball, what was it, $640 million? Yeah. That'd be, like, that'd be like one of y'all hitting the Powerball and then say, well, you know what? I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna take it this year. I'm gonna let somebody else have it. I'm gonna win it next year. I mean, come on. Yeah, These you wouldn't kids have, to have worry an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. These <laughs> kids have an opportunity because of their special talent to go out and accomplish something. Uh, that you know what? There are kids you can put them in school for eight years. They're not gonna be as good as Anthony Davis. Right. Yeah. You know, and and listen. Before these kids were coming out of high school, you still had kids that didn't make it. Every you go look at every draft of every sport for the last thirty years. And half those kids don't end up living up to the potential. And they could all be seniors. You know? So, God bless them. You know what? If someone's (laughs) willing to give them the opportunity to pursue their dreams, why do you go to college but for to have an opportunity to get a good job? That's right. So you didn't have, you didn't have to rub it in that Saker and I both lost the Powerball roster. <laughs> well, I, hey, damn it, I lost it too. <laughs> I bought tickets too, man. I was if I don't want it, y'all wouldn't be talking to me today. <laughs> you better believe it. This last week's would have been the last hang time podcast for, yeah, the, for your boy. Yeah. I'd have been out of here. I'd have been hanging though. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, man. Well, listen, we know you got fan night coming up, man. We will be watching to see the. Uh, 
elevator oh, Ernie man. outfit. Don't keep reminding. I got. They just showed it to me. Yeah, too, it's, man. That's Lord, it's gonna be epic, man. We can't uh, wait. Yeah, it's, epic is right. They're gonna be shorter it. than them, them uh, shorts you wore. You will be back in the day, man. It's gonna be a mess. They got me putting on a damn speedo, man. Greg Anthony joining us on the Hang Time Podcast, man. Enjoy it, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, fellas, y'all be good. Thanks now. He's he's right, Lane. He's right. There's there, and we, we'll dedicate an, a Hang Time Podcast in the future to uh, examining the one and done. But maybe that's something we talk about at draft time. Um, you know, the the thing that I thought of was that you know, yeah, he, there's only like ten guys or whatever that 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 is really, you know, that that rule really affects each year. Maybe maybe ten. Yeah. But the problem is most of them are all on the same team. But <laughs> <laughs> well, they certainly all know each other. Yeah, um, I mean, they're all playing in Kentucky. <laughs> but it, it, is a, it is a thing, man. I got into a heated argument about this the other day with somebody. Um, you know, they're like, well, don't you, I think all these guys need to go to college. And I said, yeah. and I said listen, I said, there's no other endeavor where you're, where you're telling somebody to forego an opportunity in, in a choice that they should be allowed to make in any other any yeah, other yeah, activity, you know, you, they're not allowed to, you know, you're allowed to make the choice for yourself. And, well, not in the NFL. No, well, I mean, that's for health reasons. You get a kid killed. You get, you could get some 18 year olds literally killed, sending them off to the to an NFL training camp at that age, you know. But basketball is a different, you know, it's a different sport. And to me, it's the same choice you give people an opportunity to make in in any other sport, be it uh, baseball. You know, they have an option of. If you go to college, then you know you're going with with a commitment being three seasons, you know, three seasons out of high school before you're eligible to be back uh, in the draft pool. I think that's something that that needs to be looked at, and it doesn't need to be this blanket. You you know, I just think it's weird that your right to make a decision to either go to college or go into the NBA draft has been collectively bargained out of your hands. If if you're a high school senior with the talent, desire, and, the, and maybe the abilities to put you in that mix. And, again, it's something we'll visit, you know. Matter of fact, I'm writing it down now. We'll have to send this to our super producer, Michael Hart, when he gets off vacation. I think he's in the south of France right now or something like that. But, you know, that's that's something we need to lock down and have a really heated Did Michael win the discussion about. He better not have won the Powerball, you know. Gerald didn't win it because he's sitting in there with his Peyton Manning T-shirt on, so I know he didn't win it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that, to me, that is an interesting, uh, an interesting conversation. Like like Greg Anthony said, that that, ne- that would need to be flushed out in in more detail at a later date. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know what you think, Lang. I, I'm I have such a hard time looking at the Final Four and then projecting players. Yeah. Um, you know, because you just never know. You could go back through year after year, look at draft classes and realize, man, this dude, you know, and I can start rattling off. As many people love to throw up Leon Smith and some of these, Corleone Young and some of these names of guys who went straight from high school to the league and didn't make it, you know, in the EB. I can start rattling off Reese Gaines and, you know, the Scooney Pins of the world and all these guys who had fantastic, you know, college careers or were three- and four-year college players who went into drafts and have never been seen or heard from again. Or if they are, they're playing, you know, across oceans or yeah. certainly not stars in the NBA like somebody might have projected for them. So it's such was, a, it's a nuanced argument, you know. Yeah, I also think, and I always have to remind myself that you see a guy, I mean, take Anthony Davis, you see him, you're like, well, that guy, you know, he scored three points 
in the championship game, he's not going to be able to score at all in the NBA. He's going to be, you know, we always kind of overrate, I mean, over, I guess, underestimate them a little bit. The guys always do a little bit better in the NBA than you expect, you know, because I, I, maybe it's just me. I always kind of try to look at those guys as glass half uh, empty because you, you, yeah. you don't want to like over, you know, put too many expectations on them or anything like that. So I, I kind of, I feel like we, we, we probably don't give them quite enough credit as they des- as they deserve when we're scouting them or yeah. um, whatever. And that, maybe that's just our tendency to not want to to put too many expectations on them. Um, but I, I think Davis is will be better than we think he'll probably be. Yeah, know? I mean, I, and I'm expecting. That's the thing. I always go in expecting, or at least hoping that these kids live up to the hype, whether it's internal you know, uh, external, whatever. I'm always going in hoping that this guy has a chance to be everything that people think he could be. Now, there are other, there have been times when I looked at a guy and thought, I don't see what, I don't see what everybody else is so excited about. Or yeah. I've looked at a guy and been much more excited about him than maybe the, the you know, the other folks in, in our business or the so-called experts or whatever. Um, you know, because there are draft, there are people whose focus is the draft. And then there are people whose focus is watching the league, and I think it's two very different things when you're trying to yeah. gauge and guess what sort of transition somebody's going to make. Um, I mean, look, I've watched Anthony Davis play like four games in my life. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's people who've seen him play a lot more games than that who are probably uh, better suited than us to, to, you know, to give a good educated guess as to how he'll be in the NBA. But I feel like I watched enough basketball, NBA basketball, to know how he could fit in. And I watched, um, I watched him last night, just thinking like, offensively, where where could he find his niche in the league? Yeah, he does. He doesn't seem like a guy with like a back to the basket post moves. There, he didn't really have many last night. But yeah, if he can knock down that twelve footer, you know, he could be like an Al Horford type, um, where he can step back, face up, and hit those jumpers. Yeah, I mean, and again, like I said, I I always get bogged down with the comparisons. Like, people go, well, you know, he's this kind of guy, that kind of guy. And I'm going, well, if somebody was comparing me to Al Horford, what's he, a two-time All-Star already? Yeah. In his career? He's been in the playoffs every year of his career. Obviously, he's hurt this year, uh, you know, with the torn pectoral muscle. But that's a pretty damn good comparison. If if somebody's telling you, Anthony Davis, you got a chance to be Al Horford. You know what I mean? Right. That, I take that. I mean, I, and I don't. I always get, you know, pulled apart a little bit when I hear people making these comparisons. Like, what do you? Everybody's not going to be Michael Jordan, you know. Everybody's not going to be the whatever this you know pinnacle of greatness that you assume they're going to be. You go back and look through drafts. There have been guys who were supposed to be can't miss, right? Who missed, you know, horribly. So, if somebody wants to put me in a category where they say, you know what, you got a chance to be the next Marcus can be bring it, you know, bring it. Yeah. Um, but you know, flip flopping yet again, back, you know, we've, we've been all over today on episode uh, 74, of the hang time podcast here, NCAA tournament and the NBA Lang, Let's go back to, uh, what's been going on in the league lately about this time last week, foolish me, or maybe it was a week before foolish me. I was writing stuff about, you know, the wheels coming off the bus in L.A. And, I, and I'm and i not talking about the Lakers. I was talking about the Clippers. Um, you know, Vinny Del Negro 
made some headlines, maybe fairly or unfairly, uh, out there about his team and his locker room being being sideways. But they've rebounded. Um, the Clips are, are playing well. And we wanted to dig in a little deeper into all of that action and, and find out what's going on. Kevin Arnovitz now of ESPN.com is joining us. Um, like you, Lang, an Atlanta native. Um, I don't think he goes around shouting ATL shouty to people like you do. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, joins us now on the Hangtime Podcast. And, uh, Kevin, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How you guys? We're good. We're good. Um, Kevin sold out. Kevin's a Dodger ticket holder. What do you mean he sold out? I didn't say that. Yeah, you- well, no, no, no. I- Lang, I gave him up last year. <laughs> in protest of ownership, in protest of the surcharge for the uh, front row in the load section. Uh, in, in protest to, uh, I don't know, not really in protest, just uh, the market The market made a correction, and uh, I made a correction. <laughs> I was wondering, like, if you were, now that Magic Johnson's, uh, you know, bought the team, if that was going to reinvigorate your, your excitement for the Dodgers. <laughs> Nah, I, uh, I'm still, I'm still somewhat partisan. It's still a great place to see a game, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a polygamist on this. Uh, <laughs> I'm sort of, I, I've been reinvigorated by the Braves, uh, you know. Nice. He did try and call you a sellout, though, Kevin. I don't know if you heard it. He was getting ready to get the words "sell" and "out" out of his <laughs> mouth. <laughs> I, I, I am somewhat of a salesman. <laughs> I, uh... Well, I mean, what's going on? with the clips now. I mean, last week I'm 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 crafting their their obit, you know, and and talking about well, this thing, you know, maybe this thing's not going to happen the way I thought. I blink, you know, dance around a little bit and look up and here they are, you know, winners of six straight and and back cranked up again. What happened? They started playing a little defense, first of all. <laughs> and they got some home cooking. I mean, let's, right. you know, I I think the attitude last week was you know, they beat a Memphis team that basically had a schedule loss. Mm-hmm. And then they beat four teams that are just awful road teams. And, and I think it, they came out of that homestand and they didn't play well against Portland, but let's wait and see. They got a big week ahead at Dallas, home Lakers, and then they go out and just whoop Dallas in Dallas. Right. Uh, I mean, I know they're not playing their best ball and they're missing some people, but, uh, you know, and they started playing a little defense. And that's this is a team that has been in the bottom ten defensively. You know they don't really have a shutdown wing. Uh, Blake is still sort of I think learning the ropes on how to be a defensive power forward in the league, which is just you know that's an art. I mean you see guys yeah. like KG and you know it's just not the easiest thing to do as a twenty, you know twenty two twenty three year old. And but they've been they've been a lot more attentive on defense. And then look, you get Randy Foy hitting eight three pointers. Right. You know, you're, you're gonna you're gonna collect lightning in a bottle every once in a while, <laughs> and I'm not saying this isn't lasting, but I'm just saying they've gotten some very timely performances at a time when the buzzards were swirling and they needed something. One of the the, the buzzards has been swirling over the head of Vinny Del Negro, obviously, um, and I, you know, you wrote a great um, post about him and uh, talks about how the expectations have kind of changed from the time he got hired to to what's going on right now. Um, how has he kind of weathered this whole thing? And I mean, do you think he's he's the still the guy long term they're going to go with, or what? What's the future look like for for Vinny? He's weathered it well. He's a somewhat unflappable guy, at least in his public persona. Uh, his message didn't change. It's this is a tough year. We're incorporating a lot of guys. These aren't excuses, but you know, yada yada. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he's certainly, I think. Uh, 
uh, the winds help. Uh, the the light sort of shines on the behind of of, of a six game winning streak. And <laughs> you know, if you're the coach, I think you inherit a lot of that glow. Right. Um, do I think he's the guy going forward? Unless the Clippers make an unprecedented run, I think, generally speaking, the message that I wrote, which is that, you know, this is a guy they liked a lot to elevate a, a team that was just coming out of the wreckage right. of, you know, the Baron and Dunleavy and all the contentiousness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he, is a, he is a morale guy. He is a guy who can get young guys to feel good about being associated with the franchise. Now they need a guy who can, you know, pretty much tell Chris Paul, look, man, you ever want to get out of his conference semis? You know, follow me. I've got experience. Uh, I, I've, I'm a tactician. I understand how this gets done. I don't know that Clippers management necessarily feels that way about Vinny. As much affection as they had for the job he's already done. In some cases, you could say this isn't a failure of Vinny. Vinny has accomplished what he's supposed to accomplish in Los Angeles. And now there's this new chapter. They have an option on him next year. Uh, I still put the odds against them exercising that option. But again, look, you know, if they march to the conference finals and I mean, hell, if they knock off an OKC if, if something unprecedented like that happens, you know, you're going to have a hard time, you know, dismissing that guy, but I think it's going to take moving mountains uh to bring him back. Kevin, how much do you think depends solely on what happens in the playoffs in terms of not only Vinny's future, but this this whole movement that's going on with the Clippers right now, like do you feel like this is a thing that People need to see, and I mean, when I say people, I mean you know maybe the Clippers front office or whoever, ownership. They need to see some immediate dividends from this group. Like they have to see some serious noise made in the playoffs, or or will they? Can they weather maybe not living up to some oversized expectations right now? In in you know with the prospect of what might be down the road with this team that's still young in a lot of spots. Yeah, I think they want to see the team justified its seed. So if they went up with a four, I think they'd like them to win that four or five series. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that the Clippers management probably won't say publicly, which is I think they appreciate that the roster is imperfect. And they got Chris Paul on the eve of the season. You know, they went out and got Chauncey, great acquisition, but not exactly a guy you tag as a shooting guard. Hasn't been a shooting guard, <laughs> I think, since Boulder. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I wasn't crazy about the Quran signing but but it was a team that was pieced together at the last minute and so that while they wouldn't say it i think management appreciates look you know we acquired a top five player we got blake coming in his sophomore year we should make a little noise we're definitely going to set a baseline when the season ends and that graphic goes up teams that improve the most this season by win percentage we want to lead that list and they're going to but this is all about 2012 they're going to clear out some space they're going to go have to get a legitimate starting shooting guard, and that, you know that's going to be a search, and it's going to you know it's a lot of pressure on on, on Neil Shea to, to to find that guy. He's pretty capable. He's got good taste in basketball players, I think. And look, if they crap out in the 2011 playoffs and then come back guns blazing next season, no one is going to remember. If anything, you set a modest baseline in 2011. You know, they went around, maybe, and they advanced to the conference finals. That's the momentum going into the summer of 2013, which, as you guys know, yeah. that's the day of reckoning. Right. Does Chris Paul <laughs> find his, his John Hancock on that contract extension saying, this is where I'm going to play the prime of my career? Does Blake Giffen, Griffin get the max, stay in Los Angeles, and the two of them become the most devastating pick-and-roll combination in basketball? And so I think 
they won't say, oh, it's not about this year. I mean, they need to see progress. They need to see Blake being coached up. They need to see that Chris is comfortable in this environment. But it really, really, really is about next season. You know, one of the, the to me, one of the, the things that, I mean, when I was out there in, in January and it was, you know, Lob City was the big story in the NBA and there was a big, um, big push and, the you know, everyone was talking about Blake and Chris and everything. And then DeAndre Jordan was kind of that third guy, um, at least on that hotel that's across from the, the Staples <laughs> Center where they had their pictures. Um What's what's the story with DeAndre Jordan? I, I I'm a little bit surprised that he hasn't. Um, I don't know. Has he underperformed a little bit this year? It's interesting because I think there's some things that are in his control and there's some things that are out of his control. I mean, one is is that when Chauncey went went out, Vinny really wanted to start spreading the floor. And as you guys know, the best way in the NBA to do that right now, if you don't have a stretch four is you keep one big on the floor, and that's going to be Blake Griffin, and then you surround him with shooters. And so DeAndre has not been on the floor for some crucial moments. He ain't exactly happy about it, but I think it's one of those things where yeah, you want a young player not to be happy about it, right? But yeah. I think the improvement they've seen in the last six days, look, Blake's shooting the ball great, Randy Foy. Looks like Dwayne Wade, baby, you know, like the way he's supposed to. But the truth is, is, I think DeAndre's defensive presence, he's getting smarter and smarter as a defender. It's not just this bouncy guy coming over from the weak side swatting balls into the third row now. He's becoming a much better pick-and-roll defender. He's communicating better. Uh, and it's funny, the one really lousy game they played in this win streak against Portland, they let, you know, J.J. Hickson just ran all over Blake Griffin in that small ball lineup. They bring DeAndre back in, order is restored. He's really asserting himself as a defensive presence. I think all said and told, you're right. I think there has been an underperformance given the size of that contract. But he, you know, I think, I think he's been an important ingredient to this revival in the last week and a half. Yeah. And, and Kevin, do you, do you look at this and, and ask yourself, when you get Chris Paul, like you said, you know, the, basically on the, the, the night before you really get cranked up this season, you know, without him the expectations were dramatically different, obviously. Can we give this team until the playoffs? Like if this team, you know, ebbs and flows a bit during the regular season but gets in the playoffs and then gets those right matchups, and we all know Chris Paul is capable of taking his game to another level in the postseason. He's done it before. Mm -hmm. Um, If they get to the postseason and and pull off a shocker maybe in round two and and do the unthinkable, maybe get to the conference final this year, does that erase a lot of the the warts that, that showed up throughout stretches of this regular season? Oh, you bet. There's something about May, isn't there? <laughs> it just, that renders everything that came before it sort of irrelevant. Yeah. You know? And, oh, I think so. I mean, if they, if they pull, I mean, you know, if they can grab the three seed and, you know, and, you know for whatever reason, knock off the Spurs, uh, I mean, you know, which is, I think, a big symbolic victory, a team where, like, yeah. they won a game in San Antonio. They hadn't won there since, I think, the Taft administration or something. I mean, it was, it, it was pretty incredible. Um Oh, I, I, I think so. I mean, it's amazing just how a playoff run can – look, I mean, it goes the other way, too. I mean, Spurs were like this this beautiful story last year. They lose to Memphis. I mean, you know, once again, they're they're geriatric and in the turn – blinking of eye, you know. So, uh, oh, I, I, I would say so. All right. Well, let's talk – you know, you don't only watch the Clippers. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're there in L.A. Uh What's the deal right now with the Lakers? Uh, I, you know, I've seen the thing today about Bynum. Um, 
they apparently find him at some point. Um, it seems like all sorts of craziness is going on um, just down the hall from the Clippers locker room. Oh, I mean, we, we need we need double drama. It, it's it's great. Uh, I think it's great living in L.A. as a basketball city. Remember the media. It's just it it never gets boring. Yeah, I mean, he's find him such an interesting guy. I mean, by all accounts, I mean he's one of the brighter players you speak to in the locker room. Yes. There's always a book there in that locker. There, he's he's he's. I think his on court IQ is just is incredibly bright when the, when the ball is live. And then, you know, you get the incident, you know, with Dallas last year, and now, you know, he has been exceptionally vocal uh, for a young player about, mm-hmm. you know, frankly, selling out his coach publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the three-pointer, of course, has been sort of the, the comic relief of the of, of the week, but also demonstrates a certain obstinance and whatever. But, um, you know, he's actually day-to-day, I think, I think for, uh, you know, for a little while with that ankle. But, um, you know, I, I think in some ways – this is a reflection of his growth, right? I mean, he, he is, I mean, really, uh, you know, Kobe will always be the dog that eats first, but, I mean, Bynum's the most efficient player on that team. I mean, I think when they win ball games and look like the team we know, it's largely to not only to his defense, not only to his, you know, the fact that he's an efficient post player and you know, really smart, just elegant fundamentals as a post guy down mm-hmm. there, but also defensively, this guy is just, I mean, just a terror. You know, trying when you try to get the ball inside. So you know, but it, but there is there is drama with that growth has come. I think a certain entitlement, you know, to to you know air his grievances publicly, and you know that's just never no, that's never never endears <laughs> yourself to management. And apparently he had this meeting that he blew off with Cupcheck, and uh, you know it's uh, it'll be interesting to follow to say the least. Kevin, if you when we look around the league and talk about all these teams, and we talk about these L.A. teams. We were talking with Darnell Mayberry earlier from the Oklahoma about the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he kind of pointed out a couple of flaws in that team that, that stru- stuck out. When you look at the landscape in the Western Conference specifically, who's the – I mean, I know the Thunder had the best record. Who's the favorite? Like, who if you, if you had to handicap these teams right now based on what you know about them and as much about their records as, as you do about the makeup of these teams – who do you look at and say in the back of your mind, this is the team that, that I think comes out of this, you know out of here when it's all said and done? The Thunder are just so hard to defend. I mean, and, and Darnell's right; they're not without flaws. They're not a top ten defensive team. Yeah. Uh, they, but I think a lot of that ball stoppage that we've all been talking about in the last couple of years—that it just kind of you know, crunch time or whatever—they just end up as an ISO team. Um, I'm not seeing as much of that lately. I'm seeing a team that can execute, that can move the ball side to side, you know, run James Harden off these cool flare screens and everything. I mean, they are, they're doing infinitely more interesting stuff offensively and the numbers show it. I mean, they're off the charts. I mean, even when they lose, they're off the charts. They're, They're impossible to defend. Again, I think they're flawed. If San Antonio, for whatever reason, is rested and, and ready, I, I could see one of those, you know, one of those matchups, classic mm-hmm. matchups between grizzled vet, young comers, and you know, as we know in this league, oldsters just have a way when it, you know, in, in May and June, and and I could see it happening because San Antonio is just so wily and so savvy, and they're so ridiculously well prepared and well coached. But I just have trouble seeing any team, with the exception of Chicago and maybe Miami, on their best day if they can figure this stuff out defensively. I, I don't still see any team being able to stop them offensively mm-hmm. for seven yeah. games. Yes. They're, they're ridiculous. 
I mean, I, th- I might have mentioned this on a podcast, but I was thinking about this the other day about, you know, we obviously haven't seen the playoff schedule yet, but I'm, I'm wondering if a team like San Antonio is going to benefit in the playoffs because there's there, there might actually be more time off during the playoffs than there is during the regular season. Right. They rarely play back-to-back. So did we see that – is there going to be like Saturday-Sunday situation? Yeah, there, I, I think there are going to be some back-to-back sets in the first round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, um, no, but I'm always with you. That, you know, that's always, you're right, always this sort of irony of the playoffs is that, you know, you, you don't generally, I mean, this year being yes. in round one, you, you just don't, teams get a chance to rest. They get a chance to do those, uh, you know, if not full, full contact five on five, just smart walkthroughs that really, you know, yes. I think benefit the well-prepared team, the older team, the team that can process information. You know, if they want to, the team coach wants to switch up coverage and make that, uh, adjustment, it, you know, it benefits the good coach and the players who can understand what the coach is trying to convey. So, yeah, I mean, San Antonio's gonna be fascinating. Then again, you know, I thought I, I thought they were unstoppable last year, and you know, let me look what happened. <laughs> you never know, my friend. You never know. <laughs> ESPN.com's Kevin Arnavis joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Kevin, it's, it's great to ha- hear your voice on here, man. We appreciate you taking some time uh, and, and divorcing yourself from some of that LA sunshine to hang out with us for a minute. Man, it's it's man, it's great reading y'all, and it's uh, it's great being on here. I like that you use y'all. That was good. good. Y'all is just you know what it is about y'all. <laughs> it, it's not like look. I know I NPRized my accent when I was twelve and thirteen. <laughs> I, I went north. Uh, you know, but but y'all is just second person plural. You know, right. like it's just efficient. You, just how you does not. How do you differentiate if you're talking to one person or three people? Like you coming? Do you mean the whole group? I mean, y'all is just. I encourage. You know. America's children, I don't care where they live, to just look at this, you know, look at this second person plural and just adopt it because it's just as much more specific and clarity rules, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And, and to think this guy called you a sellout at the start of, I did the, start not. of the segment. I, just... I said he's a. S- <laughs> and then I changed it. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, I, I'm just, I'm not a good tribal, tribal purist, man. I, I just, I know I moved to L.A. I, I, I became a polygamist. I know. It's, it's rough. That's all right. I, I'll, I'll forgive say, you. I love L.A. I, I will say this. The one time when I went to, what was it, the finals two years ago, I was in L.A. And we went, Kevin and I went to the Dodgers game and they were playing the Braves. So we got to see some, uh, we got to see Jason Hayward strike out. <laughs> I think that, oh, that was fun. That was, that was a broken, beautiful scheduling. Well, if yeah. the Clippers or Lakers uh, get their act together, and la- last week we, we made a date with somebody about going to Miami for travel purposes. I won't complain if we have to go back and forth between L.A. and, and oh. Miami for the finals. So. No, that is, that is a good accident. That, that's a terrible thing to have to live through and one that I would love to have to experience <laughs> myself. So, Listen, Kev, thanks, man. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll checking you out, as always, on ESPN.com. Thanks for having me. Thank thanks, you, sir. Kevin. Lang, I, we, we've talked so much today. I, didn't, I mean, I don't want to stop, but I, I know we can, only, we can only hold this space for so long before somebody kicks us out. Yep. Um, but great guests this week on the hang time podcast. I want to go, I want to go watch uh, fan night. I'm listen, that that's the other reason we're getting out of here right now, because you know, if, if elevator Ernie, the remix is getting ready to get served up by Greg Anthony <laughs> on fan night on NBA TV. I got to see this. So, yep. uh, give a shout out, obviously to our guests this week, Darnell Mayberry of the Oklahoman, Greg Anthony of NBA TV and CBS. You've seen them all throughout the tournament coverage and, ESPN.com's Kevin Arnovitz. First time he's been on, hopefully not the last. Uh, Lang, 
I will have something new and, and foolish cooked up for you next week here on the Hangtime Podcast. So uh, make sure Starberry's got his collar on. And it's a she. She, I mean, her collar on. And, uh, you know, is <laughs> maybe you could get her, maybe you could get her, uh, you know, an autographed collar from the man himself now that he's got some iron to go along with. I told Steph I wanted him to come by the, <laughs> come by my apartment when he's in New York and we'll take a photo of like me and my wife, the dog, and him. So for our Christmas card, nice. Do Merry Christmas from uh, from us, you know, from and Starberry and Starberry. <laughs> well, I mean, that's as close as I'm going to get to a dog, obviously, with my foolish, uh, you know, allergy. I, you know, I've never owned a pet. I didn't you know, know that. Yes, I've never owned a dog or a cat in my life. It's it's actually a scar that I'm, you know, you're missing out. I'm I'm getting over, yeah. I'm, I'll get over it, but it's a, it's a scar. My, I get I get a request yearly from uh, from somebody in my house. You know, hey, what about uh, what about that dog we've been asking for? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, listen, sorry, the allergies you know, the allergy won't have it. Don't they have dogs that are um, hypoallergenic? Right? I know, but I don't I don't want to be sitting around with some naked cat or you know, <laughs> you know, that's not that's not fair to the to the pet. You look like uh, CeeLo on the, the exactly. voice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So next time uh, we will check everybody out uh, right here on the Hangtime Podcast at NBA.com. We'll see you then. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. Follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at Seku Smith NBA and Lang with The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 